This is a one and all media podcast. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Bringing people far from God near to God. We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. We've covered a lot of territory in our series, The Story, as we've started at the book of Genesis and now made our way through the major events to today's episode, which takes place in the book of Daniel. Hey there, welcome to Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron, and I'm so excited to look at the story of the three guys who are thrown into the fiery furnace, which is where Pastor Jeff is gonna start today's episode. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a story of their deliverance. This is Today with Jeff Fines. You had very little to do with the country you would be born in, the city, uh, the state, and most of your life you think that you've been determining your paths and your ways, and all the time behind the scenes God has been moving and shifting and changing to get you to be where you are at this point in your life. Now, as we continue this series called The Story, where we go through these major narratives, we arrive at a book called Daniel, named after one dude. How would you like to have a Bible book named after you? And it's because something unique happens in his life that you probably won't see in any other life, at least quite the way it's demonstrated in the life of Daniel and three friends of his called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But in order to get the the full measure of what happens here, you have to come to terms with what I just said. You have to trust that Acts 17 is right. It's true that you live where you do because God has been shaping and moving you all your life, that you're at this church for a reason. There are many, many good churches in this valley. There are many, many good churches all around Los Angeles, but you're not in those, you're here. And if you're here, it means God has brought you together with us. And you've got to discover the string that is your life and intertwine it with other strings around so that you may make a huge impact on the world around. The reason God places the book of Daniel is to remind you and I that we're supposed to be world changers. We're supposed to be impacting the world around us. And if we're not doing that, then we're not achieving the call of God on our lives. It's, it's, it's just, there's no other way. You, we're either achieving the call of God or we're not. We're to be world changers, man. And there are many people that come to this church and they come because they believe that we're making an impact in the community. Because if we weren't, they would move on and find another place. That's the kind of people Christ Church of the Valley continues to draw. People who say, I want to do something more than just come for an hour and 10 minutes on a weekend, sing a few songs, hear a sermon and go home. I want to do something with my life that really matters. If that's you, you're at the right place. If that's you, that's the call of God in you. Last night, some of the ladies down here told me that I qualify for a senior's coffee at McDonald's now, (laughs) that I can get the senior slam at Denny's. And then I asked them, are you trying to make me feel better or worse? They said worse. I said, it's working. (laughs) 
But as you get older, that question is more paramount, isn't it? What have I done with my life? What am I doing? Daniel is recorded so that you and I would know two things. One, we're supposed to be world changers. And two, that we would know how in a world that opposes God. Now, come on, it's time to be honest. America is no longer operating like a Christian nation, correct? All right, we've got our foundations and our values, but if you look at the social arena, the influencers of our nation, they are hostile toward God. They're not hostile toward religion, just toward God, because the God of the Bible claims to be exclusive. The only way, the only way to the Father is through Jesus the Son. Now, if you want to be a world changer in a society that opposes God, there's four characteristics you're going to possess, and you see them all in Daniel. Here's the first, and we're going to say them together because I had way too much caffeine, and I need some help. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Daniel 3. Here's the first one. You're going to be a world changer. We hold loosely to the things of this world. On the count of three, one, two, three. We hold loosely to the things of this world. One more time with vigor. We hold loosely to the things of this world. Here's what's happening. You've got these boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. They're part of the original crew that was taken when King Nebuchadnezzar came into Samaria and Jerusalem, and he exported them, took them into captivity in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar laid waste to the city, but 10 years before he did that, he just simply came and carted 10,000 of the most gifted young men and women, took them over to Babylon to Babylonialize them so that he would send them back to impact and influence, to get the God of the Hebrews really out of the Hebrews and get them to become a pluralistic society where they would not worship one God, but all gods. And so when they are moved over and they enter into captivity, Hananiah, a false prophet, writes them a letter and says, okay, when you move into Babylon, don't go into Babylon, live out on the Kabar Canal near Nippur. Live here. Don't go into the city. Don't have anything to do with those heathens. Separate from them completely. Don't become involved with them. And pray against the city that God would destroy it. Hananiah writes that letter. Jeremiah, back in Judah, hears about the letter and says, wait a minute. This is truly the word of the Lord. And we know Jeremiah is the real prophet of God. And he writes a letter and he says, pay no attention to what Hananiah says. Here's what the Lord says. The Lord says, move into the city. Don't live out here on the canal. God sent you into Babylon. You think Nebuchadnezzar had something to do with it, but God sent you in as missionaries. You go in there, you build your houses, you plant your gardens and your vineyards, you marry and be given in marriage. You increase, do not decrease. And as this unfolds, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all use this letter from Jeremiah that you find in Jeremiah 29 as a blueprint for how to live in a culture that opposes your God. And, and the first thing we learned last week was don't separate. Don't go live in a barn out in the country somewhere and live like the Amish and say, we're going to pull out from among them and look down your noses at everybody else and think you're better than everybody. Don't separate like that. Don't stop sending your kids to schools and universities. Keep sending them. Just prepare them. And don't assimilate. If you do go into the city, don't become like them. I mean, think about it. Think about it. If there's nothing compelling or different about your life, then why should somebody leave the world they're in and come into yours? And so he says, if you go in and you do go in, but don't assimilate, still live distinctly as the people of God. Now, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, man, this, this could be a three-hour sermon. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's not going to be. It could be because we can spend this much time on this little segment right here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they move into the city, and guess what they do? 
They become well-versed and well-educated in everything that is Babylon. They want to know their culture and the belief systems and the philosophy so well that they're able to permeate it with the good news of God. They don't stay outside. They don't separate. They permeate. They go in and learn everything they can about their culture without being tainted by it so that they can speak truth into it. They don't hold picket sides and say, King Neb's going to hell. King Neb's going to hell. They don't do that. They just love and they grow the city. And when they come in, it prospers. And because God gives them knowledge and wisdom, here's what happens. King Nebuchadnezzar, now think about it, takes a look at these three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They have been transplanted into Babylon, a culture that opposes their God. They have left a culture where God is the center of everything. And yet, these Hebrew boys become the leaders and governors of Babylon. Look at what happens. This is in Daniel 2, verse 48. Although we'll spend most of our time in chapter 3, just look at this verse. The king, the Bible says, placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. It's amazing. These Hebrew boys come into a Babylonian foreign culture. They become involved in the economics and the politics and the social affairs. They don't separate, neither do they assimilate. And because they become well-versed in the knowledge and ways of Babylon, God uses them to permeate it with God's way. However, no matter how much you try to permeate a society that opposes God, the day will come when you will have to choose between one kingdom or the other. Because these two kingdoms are diametrically opposed. The way of Christ and these days, the way of America, they are opposed. They are diametrically opposed. And there will come a time in everybody's life, you've got to choose which kingdom you're really in. So the time comes. Now I'm in chapter 3 and I'll stay there. Verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, every time I read this text, I think, man, this could be written in our day. What does King Nebuchadnezzar do? King Nebuchadnezzar has a country that has all kinds of different people from all kinds of different places. It is the land of opportunity. They all come to Babylon, but he wants to unify them all. So he comes up with an idea and he says, we'll have one religion. But it's not really one religion at all. It's the religion of pluralism, which says, let's all just come together on the plain of Dura. I'll erect this statue. By the way, it was not a statue of Nebuchadnezzar. There is nothing in ancient literature, no record of divination concerning the kings in Babylon. So it's not a statue of Nebuchadnezzar. It's just a big statue. And we're going to gather out on the plains of Dura and everybody's going to kneel down and worship their God as well as everybody else's gods. And the only way you can get in trouble is if you refused to worship everybody else's God as well as yours. Man, does that sound familiar? So the only bad guy in King Nebuchadnezzar's culture was the guy who claimed that there was only one God and he and he alone deserves to be worshiped and praised. Well, that's going to be a problem for these Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But they made up their mind all the way back on the Kabar Canal while living in the poor that one day, if they were asked to choose between the two kingdoms, they would choose the kingdom of God. And here's why. Please stay with Here's why. 
because they knew that it was not King Nebuchadnezzar that took them into Babylon. It was God who took them into Babylon. He said this much in Jeremiah 29, 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to those I carried into exile. God said, I carried you into Babylon. And because they knew that, they also believed that the positions they had in government did not come from Nebuchadnezzar, it came from God. That they had arisen to place of prominence because of God. And that God gave them the wisdom and knowledge of Babylon so that they would rise to a level of prominence. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that everything they had belonged to God, all of it. Now, do you know the same? You got that, right? Everything you have belongs to God. You would not be on planet earth without God. He breathed life into you. Everything you have has been given to you by God. You say, well, no, I worked hard to get this. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You worked because God gave you a body to be able to work. You're good at what you're good because God wired you to work that way. Everything you have, you can never take credit. It all belongs to God. That way, if you understand that everything you have belongs to God, when he requires it back, you'll give it. If you don't believe that, then you're going to hold on tightly to everything. And when God wants to use it, you're going to say, mine, mine. And he's going to say, no, it's not. It came from me, and now I gave it to you on loan, and I need to use it now for something greater than you, yourself. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were so overwhelmed with this truth that they were willing to give their own lives if God required. And that's what happens in Daniel 3, chapter 3, verse 4. Here we go. Then the herald loudly proclaimed nations and peoples of every language. This is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music... You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Now, notice the options, okay? Worship the statue or die. Or how about this? Sin against God and live. Obey God and die. And if you wait... If you wait to make up your mind till the situation arises, you will always or most likely be a coward and do the wrong thing. But if you make up your mind way back here when you're young and you decide, okay, everything I have belongs to God. And when he requires it, I will give it. Then when the time comes, it's simply a formality. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Now, can I tell you something before I move on? There will come a time in everybody's life when you will have to choose which kingdom you're in. No one's immune to this. You guys in business, you ladies in business, you have a chance to take on a job that's going to make you materially secure. You're going to be wealthy. But you know by taking that job, it's going to require unethical practices. You decide right then and there which kingdom you're in. Some of you girls have found the guy of your dreams. But you know after dating him for a while that he's taking you farther away from God than closer. Right then and there, you decide what kingdom you're in. I don't know if you know this, but we live in L.A. When people ask me where I live, I never say San Dimas. I used to, but I got tired of Bill and Ted's big adventure. I got tired of hearing that every time. So I said, I live in L.A. I just say L.A. And I believe, after being here for seven years, that this may be the most difficult place in the world 
to be a Christian. And let me tell you why. Because of the arts, Hollywood, entertainment, comes from this place to the world. And if you're in that industry, or you appreciate that industry, either way, you're going to have a constant choice to make which kingdom you're going to be in. If you're in it as an actor or actress, if you're not asking, what roles do I accept and what roles do I reject? Congratulations, you've successfully assimilated. You've become a Babylonian. If you don't have to sit down with much consternation and say, if I accept this role, this is going to undermine my faith. If I receive this one, I'll be okay. If you're not doing that, then you're lying to yourself. You think you can have a foot in both kingdoms and you cannot. You're either all in or you're not in at all. Have you ever wondered why Jesus in the Lord's Prayer told us when we pray, he said, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, why would Jesus have us pray that? Is it like God's up in heaven? You better pray that I don't lead you in temptation because that's my plan. I'm going to lead you into evil. No, the Lord's Prayer is to show us the heart and mind of God. And the heart and the mind of God is this. He is gratuitously kind. He wants to open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings on you that you can't even dream, hopeful, or imagine Give us this day our daily bread. He wants it to be on earth like it is in heaven. And in heaven, you, I mean, he just pours out blessings. The problem is this, and God knows it. The more blessings he gives to you, the greater the temptation you have to trust in those rather than him. And so he says, pray that God will bless you, but not so much that you'll get your eye on the blessing rather than the blessor. You with me? Let me say it again. You and I, if we're going to be world changers, we got to hold loosely to the things of this world so that when God requires it from you, you're willing to give it. There's a, there's a person who did that. His name was Jim Elliott. Now, if you're not in missions, you may not know the name, but I spent most of my life in missions. And if you study missiology, you know the name Jim Elliott because Jim Elliott changed everything. He was a student at Wheaton College up in Illinois. He was a different kind of student. I mean, he was top of his class. He was a real entrepreneur. He was... Uh, a strategist, brilliant mind. He had four buddies that told him, if you go into business with us, you're going to be one of the most wealthy men ever because you're just so sharp when it comes to finance and strategy and making money. But he said no, because he said God had called him to the Aka Indians of South America, that God's plan for his life was to be the first to take the gospel to this, to this tribe of people who had never heard the name Jesus. And he moved there with his wife and with his kids. And everybody watched because of the so gifted. They, they'd hoped maybe one day he'd come back and, and come to his senses and make his mark on the world. But he was convinced God called him. And if you know the story, End of the Spear, and you saw the movie, over months and months they drop gifts to the Aqua Indians and hope that somehow they'll bridge the gap. Jim Elliott, in the meantime, is learning the language of the Aqua people. They finally decided it's time to land the plane. And Jim Elliott had already made up his mind what he was going to do if God required his life. And as the Aqua Indian ran the spear through Jim Elliott, and he's losing his life, he spoke the words that he had memorized, that if this day ever came, that he would say. And he said to his captor, he said, I am your friend. And because he died such a patient and kind and merciful death. His wife, Elizabeth Elliot, was then allowed to go back, and she did bring the gospel. They received her 
and an entire people group found the message and hope of Jesus Christ. Jim Elliott is famous for saying, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And his wife, Elizabeth Elliott, will write later in her ministry that if we hold tight or tightly to anything given to us, unwilling to allow it to be used as the giver means it to be used, we stunt the growth of the soul. What God gives us is not necessarily ours, but only ours to offer back to him, ours to relinquish, ours to lose, ours to let go of. Many deaths must go into reaching our maturity in Christ, many letting goes. Can I ask you, what is it in your life that is off limits to God? Because what I hold back directly corresponds with the degree in which God will use me. If we ever hope to intertwine our lives together and permeate this valley, then every person on board has to be willing to say, God, all that I have belongs to you. You just tell me what you require, and it is yours. Folks, you know what I'm saying? Look, again, did I mention I was turning 50? No. It's hard turning 50, man. It's hard. And uh, I told the staff I wanted a birthday party. I just told them. Because... We didn't celebrate birthdays in my home that much, so I've never really had a birthday party, you know, where you sit down, have cake and ice cream and all these gifts, right? And so I told the staff, I'm just telling you right now, when I turn 50, I want a party, and I want a big one. <laughs> and I want to tell you, I, I'm serious. I, I told her, here's what I want. I want hamburgers and hot dogs on the grill. I want the whole staff to be in here. I'm not, I mean, I'm not expensive. I'm a cheap guy. I'm a Walmart guy. So hamburgers, hot dogs, what's that going to cost you? I want some potato chips. I want some uh, IBC root beer. Uh, I don't drink it much, but I, I, it's one of my cheats, you know, it's got a lot of sugar in it, but I, it's my birthday. I want IBC root beer. I want a chocolate malt from the habit. And I want to be handed that malt when I walk in the door. And here was the hard one. Here was the difficult one. I want the band and I want Lance Beckford playing the drums because he's the only one that's going to be able to do this. Jeff Jansen on the bass and the keyboard. They brought in a guitarist and a vocalist. I said, I want them to perform my, fav- my favorite song. And I want them to perform it when I come in. And there's no way you're going to know my favorite song, so I'll go ahead and tell you. It's by Rush. It's called Tom Sawyer. And they played Tom Sawyer by Rush, and they nailed it. And then they had a video of birthday wishes to me from pastors around the valley. Gene Apple sent a message. My friend Dudley Rutherford sent one in. Uh, my friend Anastasia Babunga, all the way from Rwanda, sent me a birthday message. I didn't ask for that. That was extra. Uh, Denver Chizanka said, I mean, it was a great birthday party because it was all about me. <laughs> they had putt-putt stuff set up all around the church building. We played softball. They had a basketball hoop. It was a day that will live in infamy. <laughs> now, here's the thing. There are things I enjoy. Aren't there things you enjoy? I mean, I enjoy golf. I enjoy my children. I enjoy walks and talks with my wife. I enjoy uh, putt-putt. I like uh, music. I love the band Rush, which is going to freak some of you out when you go online later and listen to them. You're going to think, man, my pastor likes Rush. Yeah, he does. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And so (laughs) I like those things. But here's the thing. God gives us all these gifts that we have. But God asks, would you give any of those up if I ask you? And there's only one answer for those who want to change the world. And the answer is yes. We hold loosely to the things of the world. We give them willingly to God if he requests them.
You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. See, in their mind, Nebuchadnezzar's not the one in charge. The language is this. King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you're not the one who really determines whether we go into the furnace or not. So we're not gonna waste our time trying to convince you that you shouldn't put us in there. And we're not gonna waste our time telling you why we only serve one God. You know you got us from Jerusalem and Samaria. So let's just get it over with. Do what you gotta do. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.